Hey, Steminists, it's Emlyn Gremlin here with a quick announcement. You are currently listening to an older episode of Stem Vital, one in which we had not quite figured out how to turn the microphone on. So if the audio quality bothers you, I urge you to skip ahead to episode 17, where we are oh so crisp and oh so clean. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it just worked out that way. Okay, here's the app. Hello. Hi, welcome back. This is Dem Fatal, your women in science history podcast. Uh, I'm Emlyn like Gremlin. And I'm Emma Dilemma. And we're doing it. And this is our first um, morning non-libation. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have uppers, not downers, <laughs> while we record this. So, so, yeah, we'll see what the difference is. Yeah. Maybe it'll be way better. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll need to transition to coffee. Yeah. Um, or maybe not. We'll, we'll see. see. Okay, so before we start, we have not been in the same place for a while. So we have a bunch <laughs> of shout-outs that we haven't been able to record. So for past episodes, we have shout-outs for people who have guessed the right lady from our teasers. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, so thank you. So uh, first shout-outs to Ann Chambers for guessing Katsuko Saruhashi. Ann is a PhD candidate studying species delimitation (laughs) and integrative taxonomy of leopard frogs and milk snakes. So thanks, Ann. Shout-out to Biology Yak at the Biology Yak on Twitter for guesting Dorothy Hodgkin, and Biology Yak is a blog aimed at providing accessible reviews of current research and putting it into a bigger picture of public health and medicine. So that's cool. So go check that out. And then final shout out is shout out to Susan Stone at House Von Stone, house spelled H-A-U-S, I think she's German, um, for guessing the woman that I'm going to talk to today. (laughs) Talk about. I always do that. Talk to, yeah. Yeah, talk about. And she is the producer of the Dead Lady Show podcast. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. um, Which celebrates ladies who were fabulous while they were alive. So there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. I don't, it's not specific about science, it's just ladies in general, but you should go check that out. That's really cool. Okay. Wow, all these awesome people. I know, so many things to check out. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're just going to jump yeah, in. Yeah, let's do it. Jump in? <laughs> it's a pun, but you don't know on what yet. What? Yeah. Okay, first you said we were listening to Genuine Pony to get pumped, and you're like, <laughs> this is relevant. <laughs> it's <laughs> now, all relevant. Now you're saying jumping in is relevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very... Is this a horse jumper? Like... No. Okay. The one of those famous science horse jumpers. Okay. So what <laughs> week is it? It's not even like a real sport. What week is it? What week is it? Um, it's the week of July 27th. <laughs> what happens on this week? Um, Every year for the past 30 years. It's Shark Week. Yes. <gasps> it is Shark Week. Wait, my shout out is related to Shark Week. It's oh, going to be a sh- it's, a, it's all going to be shark themed. We um, did it, you guys. We made <laughs> a thematic <laughs> episode. We accidentally coordinated. Do you know Wait, who how? the shark lady is? No, but what? Pony? 
How is pony related? Oh, ride it. She rides. Uh, we'll she get to it. She rides sharks? We'll, we'll oh, get to what? it. <laughs> we'll oh get to God. it. Okay, okay. Um, no, I don't. Shark lady. Shark lady. She is known as the shark lady. I didn't know there was a shark lady. There is a shark That's lady. That's cool. And her name is Eugenie Clark. She goes by Jeannie Clark. Aww. Um, That's cool. Okay, so strap in for this deep, <laughs> this deep dive. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Put on that mask. Yeah. And fill up your oxygen tanks. <laughs> and get ready to breathe. A- <laughs> okay. <laughs> get ready to breathe. Get ready to breathe. Okay. So Eugenie Clark, uh, Jeannie Clark, was born in New York City on May 4th. 1922, to Yumiko Motomi and Charles Clark. And Charles Clark, her father, died when uh, Jeannie Clark was two. Um, And around that time, she also learned to swim, actually before the age of two. Oh, what? Which is uh, impressive. I was scared to get in a pool... Yeah. Like, the first six, seven years of my life. I just hung out in the tide pools and would cry and yeah, watch my parents go into the ocean. <laughs> nice. And Jeannie Clark said that she often visited the New York Aquarium as a child, Aww. and this fostered her passion for the oceans. And at this time, the New York Aquarium was uh, near the battery at the base of Manhattan. So, right now, I used to work at the... I actually volunteered at the... New York City Aquarium, but oh, it's at, now it's cool. at Coney Island. Okay, but nice. before it was in Manhattan, like at base of Manhattan. Wow! And at that time, her mother worked at Lower Manhattan as well. So on Saturday mornings, her mother would leave her at the aquarium, which Whoa. sounds, <laughs> which to me sounds like a dream come true. Yeah. Though I think you might get in trouble with human services today. I don't think you can do that. I don't think anymore. you can just leave nine-year-olds <laughs> like anywhere yeah i feel like unattended aren't even like allowed to walk to school Mm -hmm. anymore by themselves which i did that my whole life yeah so okay so her mother later married a japanese restaurant owner and Jeannie would say that the central role of the sea in japanese culture also fostered her passion for the oceans oh my gosh and so then she went to william cullen bryant high school uh, in New York City, and then went to Hunter College in the early 40s. Oh, cool. At Hunter College, Clark studied ichthyology, which is the study oh, of yeah. fish, and she got a BA in zoology. And then Clark took a job at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Oh, cool. Uh, where I've also been. I just yeah. I, f- I follow her around, apparently. <laughs> and here she learned how to scuba dive. And at this time, I guess, they used a helmet and face mask attached to a diving hose. So, like, you could go down, but you were, like, attached to the boat, I guess. And while on her first dive, uh, she nearly drowned when her diving hose ruptured, (gasps) leaving her gasping and nearly fainting before she managed to remove the helmet and float to the surface. Oh, my God. Which, if that was me, I would be like, I'm done. Yeah, never Not again. again. Scuba diving terrifies me yeah. these days yeah. and it's like way much safer yeah, you I still get the bends and all the yeah, crazy yeah. stuff but nevertheless despite that frightening dive experience she tried again and again and scuba diving became deeply rooted in her research so although she was allowed to scuba dive at scripps they would not allow her and her and another female researcher to go on overnight trips oh cool yeah 
super great. Why? They're too afraid they'll harass them? <laughs> yeah, like, I have no idea. I couldn't find more information about this. And she they, she wasn't allowed to go to the Galapagos. What? I know. Sucks. Um, and so this limited the scope of her research to around San Diego where she could do day trips. Yeah. Uh, and at this time, marine biology was a very dominated field, so there weren't that many women. Like male-dominated? Yeah. 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 M-A-L-E, not M-A-I-L. Anyways. <laughs> you mean there weren't letters and Just, it wasn't like Harry, it wasn't the first the- Harry Potter movie. <laughs> Oh, when all the... Yeah, all the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, so after working at Scripps, she had wanted to go get her PhD, and she had originally wanted to go to Columbia. Aw. Because, you know... Yeah, because it was the place it to was be. A piece to, but she was denied because, as a professor at Columbia told her, quote, if you do finish, you'll probably get married, have a bunch of kids, and never do anything in science after we have invested our time and money in you. And so what? But, like, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's incorrect. Incorrect and, and Yeah. But it's uh, also, like, I don't know. She's still doing science while she's there, right? Yeah. And also, then you're still probably doing something related, yeah. even if it's not. Ugh. Anyways. So, yeah. She was rejected uh, from Columbia that for that reason. is fucked up. Yeah. Um, but she did go on to marry five times. Whoa! And have four children. Yeah. <laughs> and have four children with her <laughs> second husband, but, uh, she did a lot for science. Okay. All right. Where was I? You were telling me that she got married five times. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Clark went on to marry five times and have four children while having this amazing science career. That's so, so cool. F you I don't know who who that said this. Guy, yeah. yeah. F you that who rejected guy. her. Yeah. So instead she went to NYU. Very nice. And there she worked with eminent ichthyologist Dr. Charles Breeder Jr. Uh, who became her lifelong mentor and friend. And she earned her master's in zoology in 1946, studying the puffing mechanisms of blowfish. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then Dr. Myron Gordon, a fish geneticist, sponsored her PhD at NYU and had her work as a research assistant at the American Museum of Natural History. Oh, cool. Uh, where she studied the live-bearing production of uh, platys and swordtail fish. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And then in 1949, Clark received funding from the Pacific Science Board and the U.S. Office of Naval Research to study poisonous fish species around the Pacific Islands of Micronesia. Whoa. And so this is during her PhD. so cool. And there, Palau Islanders taught her to spear fish underwater, uh, where she collected hundreds of specimens. Oh, my God. (laughs) And if you ever speared fish... No. Underwater? <laughs> I haven't. That sounds very hard. It's very difficult. And I don't know if this is how, like, I tried when I was in Panama. Oh, cool. Um, and at least the way they do it now is it's like a spear. And on the end of the spear is this big rubber band. Oh, that's cool. And so you will... So it's almost like a slingshot? Yeah. So what you do is you... Yeah pull it like you have the rubber band on like uh, your finger or something and then you pull the long spear back yeah. so you're providing as much tension 
as possible. And so when you let the spear go, it goes forward with a lot of pressure. That's so cool. And I did not catch any fish. (laughs) (laughs) I last year I went fly fishing for bonefish, which are like Hmm. these fish that live in shallow waters near mangroves. Nice. And it's super hard. It's like very different from normal fly fishing where you like stand on the edge Mm -hmm. of a river or something and just like throw it in when you see a fit. Like you actually have to like hunt for the fish. So it's similar to spear fishing where you throw the fly down when you see a fish way out. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. I didn't catch anything either. (laughs) But it was really fun. But yeah, so she caught hundreds of fish. Yeah. And that's like, I wonder if it was just throwing the spear at him, you know? Yeah, I don't know. That's so cool. Yeah. And so in a photo from these adventures, a famous oceanographer, Dr. Sylvia Earle, she kind of describes the photo and she says, Jeannie is sitting down, drinking kava, making friends with the chiefs and local people. She truly became their friend. And so they shared with her essential knowledge about their local ecosystems and ocean wildlife. Wow. So she did that. That's like in the midst of her PhD. Yeah. Also during her PhD, she won a Fulbright scholarship and conducted research on the marine fauna of the Red Sea. Oh my gosh. uh, In Egypt. And at this time, the Red Sea was virtually unexplored. That is amazing. Yeah. Like, wait, what year was this? The 50s? 50s. Okay, 1950. Yeah, 1949, 1950 or something. And so after finishing her dissertation research in the South Pacific... She wrote an autobiography of her experience <laughs> entitled Lady with a Spear. Oh my god. Which became an international bestseller. Yeah, I of bet. course. <laughs> and, in, and I think it was translated into like eight languages or something. Wow. I couldn't find like it was I tried to find it. Yeah. To like read some of it, text. but it was really hard. Yeah. In this book, published in 1953, she detailed a fish that could inflate themselves to great size, that had deadly toxins, that grunted yeah. like pigs. And that had two sets of eyes to Whoa. see both above and below water. So she really, like, described so cool. all of the uh, the great the things she's seen. Yeah. And so Lady with a Spear also garnered the attention of phil- philanthropists. Yeah. I always say philanthropists. It's not right. <laughs> uh, philanthropists Anne and William Vanderbilt. Oh. Uh, who like funded... Of the school? Of the... Of the... Of the rich people, of Vanderbilt. The rich. Okay, yeah, they're probably all the same, <laughs> Vanderbilt. Yeah. Uh, who funded a small research laboratory in Florida where Clark could conduct research. Oh. And this laboratory is now known as the Moat uh, Marine Lab oh. or the Mott Marine Lab. Yeah. 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 Oh my god. It's like god. huge. Yeah. That was so they funded that for her. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. that's like a huge research center. Yeah. Now. And so today this Amazing. lab hosts 24 marine research and conservation programs, yeah. many education programs, and a large public aquarium. Wow. And this lab has six campuses in Florida, over 200 staff and scientists who work in oceans across the globe. Nice. And it was started for her. I never knew any of this. Yeah. Wow. And Clark said, in those days, local people had no place to find out about anything strange that happened on sea or washed up on the beach. Or they had to go to a university way out of town. The lab was so popular. We started with one room, not much bigger than this room. And it doubled in the first year, tripled in the second year. And we had teachers wanting to bring their classes down. And fishermen coming over with all the unusual fish they had found. 
I had a little museum area where I preserved all the unusual things that they brought to me. The newspapers loved the news that we brought up (laughs) because it was about the sea, and people in this area just loved the sea. Aw, that's amazing. Okay, so at this time also... Uh, sharks were considered to be dumb and deadly creatures. <laughs> dumb. I like they're considered to be dumb. Just these stupid, think, stupid fish. I would kind of think they would be considered, like, cunning, if anything. I think they're just supposed to be, like, mindless man-eaters. Mindless murderers. Yeah. Yeah. And Poor but sharks. Af- yeah. <laughs> but after working with them for a while, Clark said that, I realized that these... Gangsters of the sea had gotten a bad rap. And I guess she would often call sharks the gangsters of the sea. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. (laughs) I mean, she lived in New York City. Like, she probably knew, like, mafia. Yeah. I mean, not personally. Who knows? We could start these rumors. Okay. Part of the mob. Um, So in 1959, Clark started one of her most famous and innovative studies, showing that sharks could learn through training. And she was the first person to study the behavior of large sharks experimentally in a lab. So she had these very large pools where she kept the sharks. And I think they were... Leopard sharks? Leopard sharks or lemon sharks? I don't remember. That's okay. Um, One of the small, not like great whites. One of the like kind of nurse sharks. Yeah, Yeah. that you sort of like see at the beach. Yeah, she did not have great whites (laughs) in pools that she was touching. Whale sharks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she trained these sharks to press a specific target in order to get food. Whoa. And later she could train them to choose between multiple targets of different sizes and colors. That is so cool. So was she like going out catching sharks and then bringing them back to the lab? Yeah, I think so. Oh my god, yeah. that's badass. And uh, this research was groundbreaking and appeared in science, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the 1960s, the lab continued to grow as Clark was raising four young children... Uh, fathered by her second husband. <laughs> and she had two daughters, oh, wow. Hera and Aya, and two sons, Tok and Nikki. Aww. And Clark was able to remain in science during this time by melding her research life with her home life, bringing her children on research wow. expeditions around the oh world. Oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> so what a different way to grow up. Yes. Yeah. So on one expedition in the Red Sea, uh, Clark discovered a new species of sandfish and named it Trichonotus Nikki after the youngest member of the expedition Aww. team, her son Nikki. That's cute. And while working in the Red Sea in the 1970s, Clark also discovered the Red Sea Moses soul, uh, Patacurus marmoratus, I guess. <laughs> uh, and remarkably, the Red Sea Moses soul produces a natural shark repellent. Oh. So, Red Sea Moses soul produces and stores this toxin called part. Pardoxin in its dorsal and anal fin glands. And when the fish is within the jaws of a shark, the shark will suddenly stop and back up without closing its mouth down on the fish. Oh, kind of like a monarch or something? Like a monarch? Like monarchs produce a toxin, so when birds eat them, they'll like be like, bleh. Yeah. And spit them yeah, out. so this is like even before they like touch the. Oh, it like releases oh, oh. it so they don't even get it. Whoa. Uh, Eugenie Clark says that the shark can then be seen jerking its head from side to side, dashing around the tank, bumping sides, holding its mouth open for several seconds to up to three minutes, curling at the bottom of the tank, belly up. Whoa. 
Uh, and so a variety of reasons, such as longevity of the toxin and difficulty in acquiring it, they never got to make commercial shark repellent, but there was a lot of money at this time oh. trying to get something that like sunscreen. Yeah. One of the like big sunscreen companies were trying to get shark, like make some type of shark repellent screen where like you could just rub it on, like rub your <laughs> suntan lotion on, rub your shark repellent right. and then go in the water. Except this is, if it's toxic to sharks, it's probably also toxic. I mean, maybe not toxic to humans. It could be very specific. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not positive about that, but I think it, um, it's half-life is very short. So uh, okay. it becomes ineffective. Not a good really. product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and then also not only did she take her kids out to these expeditions, but later on in her life, she would also take her grandson out on expeditions and on dives, making her the coolest granny of all time. (laughs) So Clark also discovered that sharks do not have to continually swim to breathe, which was the predominant thought at the time. So people thought that the only way they could breathe was to keep moving so that water would passively go over their gills. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she discovered these sharks, colloquially called sleeping sharks, that were 65 feet down in undersea caves in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. And she found this while she was with her uh, daughter, Aya. So imagine you're, like, scuba diving. You went 65 feet down into these, like, underwater caves, and there are just sharks not moving, (gasps) floating uh, probably a lot of them. Yeah, motionless. Oh my god! And she said that she could like get up close and like touch them, and they weren't moving. Really? Yeah. But they weren't actually asleep. They, they weren't just... asleep. They were just. But I guess sleep in animals is hard to categorize sometimes because it's yeah. like they don't close their eyes. They're like resting. I don't know. Yeah. But so this was the first instance where sharks were actually seen actively pumping water through their gills Whoa. so they weren't moving they were just pumping water through their gills and staying yeah uh do still. other fish do that much? i have no idea i bet like aren't there fish that just kind of stay yeah um, yeah sand and like because you see them yeah. i think so but i think it's a lot more energetically right. costly than kind yeah. of slowly moving um and so why why do they do this well clark can Included that uh, there was fresh water from the cave bottoms that were loosening parasites off of the sharks. Oh. And so they were just kind of like chilling there in these small caves to let the fresh water, let these parasites loosen up. And then fish would come and like actually pull them off. That is crazy. Yeah. So they were using it as like a deworming or like, <laughs> you know. Wow. And so this work had a strong impact of our understanding of shark behavior and biology. Yeah. And then put her on the front page of National Geographic. Oh, my gosh. And her efforts to study sharks and to dispel myths and fears about sharks through education earned her the name The Shark Lady. Aw, that's so cool. Yeah, she's a cool lady. And so in 1968, Clark joined the faculty of the University of Maryland and taught marine biology until she retired in 1992. And as said by Dr. Arthur Popper. Arthur Popper. <laughs> a professor emeritus and research professor at the University of Maryland, who was previously one of her students. Oh. Uh, he said, she had a unique ability to communicate science. She did yeah. something that most of us couldn't conceivably do, to get people excited about science in such a way that the excitement stayed after she left. Now, if you go and look at elementary school science books, uh, when they feature a woman, it's often Jeannie. Oh, wow. And then she wrote a second book. <laughs> 
which is called The Lady and the Sharks. Oh, cool. I want to read that. And that came out in 1969, and this book explored the physiology and behavior of sharks and other marine life, as well as Clark's experiences as a biologist, diver, and teacher. Wow. And in the book, she writes... Over the years, I've dived with more than 50 whale sharks in Ningaloo Reef, Australia, and near La Paz, Mexico. Uh, Dived with over 30 great whites in South Australia in cages, which I could reach out and pet them. (laughs) Been chief scientist in charge of 72 submersible dives to see deep sea sharks. Deep sea sharks? Yeah, deep sea sharks are crazy. In 1975, yeah. the movie Jaws came out. And people were scared of people sharks. People were terrified. Sense. And it was at this time that Clark worked tirelessly trying to dispel myths and fears about sharks. Good, yeah. And she wrote roughly a dozen National Geographic stories about sharks during her time, including one called Sharks, Magnificent and Misunderstood. <laughs> and in a 1982 PBS documentary called The Sharks, Clark insisted that Jaws had inspired unreasonable fear of sharks and that 350 shark species are not dangerous to humans at all. Yeah. And she said, when you see a shark underwater, you should say, how lucky I am to see this beautiful thing in his environment. Aww. That's so cool. Clark was also a champion of conservation and focused much of her efforts on the Red Sea and Gulf of Aqaba, which had stunning coral reefs. And her voice was important for this area becoming Egypt's first national park in 1983. Oh, my God. And then she wrote a third book. <laughs> so <laughs> so she, co- she co-wrote this third book called Desert Beneath the Sea with Anne McGovern, who's a biography mm-hmm. of, for, of Clark's, uh, in 1991. And in this book, she says, Sharks are among the most perfectly constructed creatures in nature. Some forms have survived for 200 million years. Oh, my God. And in, 19, or in 2004, after injuring her Achilles heel on a dive, Clark discovered that she had lung cancer. Whoa. And she was 82 at the time. And although she stopped diving temporarily, her cancer went into remission. And so in so in 2009, for her 87th birthday, she celebrated in a small submarine submersible uh, 900 feet deep in Lake Tahoe. Aww, so that's where she like yeah. had her little birthday party. And then she did that again in for her 88th birthday. That's sweet. And she says, I never let being a woman, even as a young girl, stop me from trying to do something I really wanted to do, especially if it concerned fishes or the <laughs> underwater world. That's so cool. And she loved the Red Sea, which she had worked in kind of yeah. throughout her whole career, so much that Jeannie spent her 92nd birthday diving off the coast of Israel at her old field sites with family and friends. So she is scuba diving <laughs> at, at 92. 92? Yeah. Oh my god. And... The Moat Marine Lab CEO, Crosby, said, I dove with Jeannie in the Gulf of Aqaba. With her age and her health concerns, the hardest thing for her wasn't the dive. She was a very experienced (laughs) diver. It was mainly getting the gear on and off into the water. Wow. I helped her, and we walked arm in arm. The minute she was underwater, she was as graceful as a ballerina. Her buoyancy control was perfect. She spotted a camouflaged, leaky fish (laughs) the rest of us missed. The minute she was underwater, she was in her 20s again. Wow. Uh, one underwater National Geographic photographer and friend, David Dubelay, said of her, she never outgrew this absolute fascination of looking and seeing and observing underwater. Even when I was a younger man and she was older, I couldn't keep up with her. She moved with a kind of liquid speed underwater. But this wasn't her last dive. 
Oh my god. Her last dive was in June 2014 in the Solomon Islands, searching for trigger fish nests. And she was 92 years old for this last dive. Wow. And Jeannie Clark died on February 25th, 2015. And on March 2nd, Clark's family placed her ashes into the Gulf of Mexico aboard Mott's uh, ship, the Eugene Clark. Oh my god. Or the Eugenie Clark. Yeah. Her name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This other male guy who has a similar name. name. (laughs) So all told, I'm going to give kind of like, she did so many things that I have to kind of summarize it because it's crazy. I mean, it sounds like she was one of the foremost, like, shark scientists Mm -hmm. and scuba divers of her time. Definitely. So Dr. Jeannie Clark wrote three books 80 scientific treaties, more than 70 articles and papers, and appeared in 50 television specials and documentaries. She also won an Emmy in 1996 (laughs) for her underwater films. I could not find, like, what those films are called or anything, but... And then, uh, even in her 90s, Clark could be found scuba diving. And Jeannie led over 200 field research expeditions to the Red Sea and the Caribbean, Mexico, Japan... Palau, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, Thailand, Indonesia, and Borneo. I wish Uh, I could have scuba dived with her. That sounds so neat. And she was a pioneer in the use of scuba gear for underwater research. Yeah. And she completed over 70 deep dives in submersibles. Whoa. And in one deep dive, she went down 12,000 feet. How? So is that... Not that's not like she is free swimming, no. right? <laughs> no. okay. It's like you're I think it's just you're in a little yeah. little submarine, okay. like a research yeah. sub. During these dives she swam with schools of barracuda, encountered giant squid and five hundred pound clams, discovered a rare six gill shark, ran into great whites, and witnessed a shark's birth. And she was never attacked by anything. No, I think she got close. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because some of those sharks are aggressive, and mm-hmm. that's, like, not <laughs> exactly safe. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, famously, <laughs> she taught the crown prince Ak- Akihito <laughs> of Japan how to snorkel. Oh, yes, yeah. Famously. <laughs> that's and really cute. <laughs> this, is, this is where it goes back to pony. Oh, okay. Full circle. Although Thank this God. Is, although this is not recommended... In the Sea of Cortez, Clark rode on the back of a 50-foot whale shark. Oh, my gosh. And she said that this ride was one of the most exciting journeys of her life. Whale shark. I think you're not supposed to do that in general. (laughs) Ride on sharks. Right, yes. For them, for you, for everybody, but... I would love to see, like, an artist's rendition of that. I don't know. It sounds yeah. so magical. Maybe we'll get Caitlin to... Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. And so, finally, here's one more quote, I think. Is this... Yeah. One more quote from the president and CEO of Moat, uh, Dr. Michael Crosby. He said, There was absolutely no one like Jeannie Clark. Her fascination with fishes and dedication to research changed marine science forever. Wow. Her life story set an example for women in science and countless others who are striving to make a positive impact. Her graciousness and warmth opened hearts and made ocean science or ocean knowledge more accessible to many. And above all, her leadership and legacy sparked a tradition of world-class marine research 
and ed education that will be continued for generations. Her passion for science and her freedom to pursue that science at Moat uh, continue to inspire us all. Aww. Yeah. What a revolutionary woman. I know. So that is Jeannie Clark. Oh, that's so cool. Shark that's Week. Exciting. Shark Week. In the bag. <laughs> but wait. But wait. Uh, yeah, let's keep going. Work, 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 work. To continue with our Shark Week theme, I, I have a current shark biologist. That's our uh, badass woman of the week. Our women who work. Women who work. Okay. So, this week's shout-out goes to Melissa Christina Marquez, who is a marine biologist, wildlife educator, founder of Fins United, which is a shark conservation uh, foundation. Nice. And podcaster. She has the podcast Conciencia Azul, where she talks to like Latina, Latino marine biologists. Very cool. Yeah. And she's a total badass. Yeah, I think I've seen her on Twitter because I know she didn't she yeah. have a. Uh, Wait. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So earlier this year, she was in Cuba filming a segment for the Discovery Channel Shark Week. Yes. Which is this week. And. Um, Jezebel, like, told a story, basically, or she told this whole story to Jezebel, okay. so, and I'm attaching the article, everyone should read it and look at the videos and the pictures. Okay. So, her team is specifically looking for a hammerhead shark uh, species in shallow waters off the coast of Cuba, when they happened across a 10-foot American crocodile, and American crocodiles are fairly aggressive they're like way more aggressive than alligators yeah. so that's pretty and they're predators yeah and they were it was in the ocean yeah, yeah. in the ocean yeah. and they were filming it for like quite a while and they got all these like really cool shots of it which you can see in the Jezebel article okay. and you can like hear Melissa like saying like oh my god like we're next to this crocodile and it's so cool and you know, she and her whole team are experienced divers. They do this, like, all the time, and they see all these cool sharks and whatever. Mm -hmm. Never any problems. Yeah. Until today. Oh, no. So they were all, like, really excited to see the crocodile, even though it wasn't the hammerhead they were looking for. And so finally, after they get all their shots, they, like, start packing everything up. And uh -huh. so it's dark. I'm on the tips of my toes. Yeah. Okay. It's dark in the water except for Not all what the I lights that they have. Uh -huh. But they're packing up, so they turn off most of the lights. No, don't There's ever do There's a tempo crocodile. Swim me around. Okay. They're turning off all the lights. It's dark and murky in the water. She sees her <gasps> scuba diving partner go up, and so she starts preparing to also go up. Right. Which is, like, you usually have to, like, go up pretty slowly when you're scuba diving yeah. so you don't yeah, hurt get your the brain and yeah. stuff. Okay. I don't know if that's how that works. I don't know if it's your brain. For some reason, you're not supposed to go up really fast, right? Yeah, don't do it. And so she starts um, preparing to go up when something grabs her leg. No. <laughs> uh. She's okay. Um, okay. She yeah. lived to tell the story. That's true. So I'm just saying. And when she tells the story, it's like, I don't know, she seems excited. It's it's really cool. Like, so 
I mean, it's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, something grabs her leg, and it's the crocodile. Uh. Has basically bitten into her, her one of her legs. And she knew it was a crocodile, and despite being completely terrified... She also knew that if she struggled, it would basically rip her entire yeah. leg off. Yeah. So she basically was like, I'm just going to remain calm while this 10-foot crocodile is chomping down on my leg and dragging me through the water. And her microphone had stopped, like, communicating perfectly in her swimming oh, diving part. It was gone and it was dark. Oh, my God. And eventually it just let go. And she just shot up immediately which isn't great, but it was better than yeah. it, you know, possibly get chomping yeah. down on her again. Wow. So she got, you know, onto the boat where everyone was, and they were like, what the heck happened? And like, Why are you her bleeding leg everywhere? Is, yeah. So they get her up and like give her a ton of antibiotics, and her leg is fine. She has like some scars, but it's not what? even super deep, I don't think. Yeah, and like I said, you can see the bite pictures uh, online. <laughs> I definitely want to see that. Yeah, and anyway, I just thought it was a really incredible story. And, you know, she has no hard feelings toward the crocodile. Yeah. It was probably confused. I you love know? that there's a cro- Like, I just love that it's for Shark Week. And there's just I know, this rogue, a like... a giant crocodile. Yeah, they're yeah. realizing that crocodiles go into the ocean much more than they thought previously. Right, yeah. Which is terrifying. Like, you thought you just had to deal with... I know most sharks are fine, but you, yeah. know, like you thought you only had one... One threat, but no. <laughs> and they were pretty far off the coast, yeah. too, I think. Like That's crazy. She knew that if it tore her leg off, she would bleed to death because they wouldn't have time to get back to the coast <sighs> to get that the care that she needed. Yeah. So, that... And that, that was going through her head. Like, I... I can't imagine anything going through my head except like screaming. Yeah. Well, I guess like I don't know. I guess in those she had, they've been filming. I would probably while you're filming and things are all good, be thinking about what happens if things go bad. Yeah, you know. And, so it's not like right. She was in the water. She didn't know there was a crocodile, and a crocodile bites her, and then she's like processing it. Yeah, like she probably had processed some of it before. Yeah. But that's still... She says, like, you know, this is what she does. She works with these Mm -hmm. predators that she knows can attack her at any time. And I think the whole team knows what to do in case that happens and how to act and what kind of attitude to have, especially Mm -hmm. to get away from it. And she just, like, totally handled it like a boss. Yeah. She's fine now. She, like, still loves sharks and crocodiles and wants to get back out there. I'm so glad. Yeah. Anyway. That's amazing. Just another, like, badass marine biologist. Yeah. No fear. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's I love Alyssa. this. It's so themed. Christina Marquez, and you can read more about her in the Jess Bell article. Oh, and I will. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. All right. So I think that's our episode, our it very is. Shark Week themed. I know Shark I know, Week is go- by the cool. time by the time this gets out, Shark Week will be over. But you you're but not ready. You're not ready for it to be no, over. You no, want no. one more day? It should be Shark Life. It is Shark Life. <laughs> for some people it is Shark Life. True. For Jeannie Clark and it is Yeah, shark and life. Melissa, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so send-offs, please rate, review, subscribe if you liked this episode. Uh, you can find us on all like Twitter, yeah, Facebook, 
Right. Gmail, all stuff at all pod. Yeah. You know, let us know what you think. Our music was done by Artichoke, so. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, and we'll. Oops. You can hear us next week. Yeah. <laughs> and stimulator. Stimulator. Bye. By circa 1820, she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for.